Um, we're going to, and the teaching I'm doing today is another one of those teachings that if I, if I had a big umbrella called receiving from God, this would be under that umbrella. A couple weeks ago, I talked about a big question. And the question was, why does it sometimes seem as if our prayers are unanswered? That's a big question. The bottom line is, they are answered. They're not unanswered. If we pray according to the will of God, if we are in agreement with God, our prayers are answered, but they're answered in the spiritual realm. I gave you um, an example, an analogy of radio waves. Right now, in this room, there are radio waves, but we can't hear them because they're higher frequency than what our ears can hear. And the only way that we can hear radio waves is if we have a receiver that transforms those signals from one frequency to a lower frequency that our ears can hear. That's what radios do. So when you go in your car and you turn on the radio, your receiver is transforming those radio signals to a signal you can hear. That's what our active faith does. We're going to talk about active faith today. That's what our active faith does. It takes what has already been answered in the spiritual realm. When we pray according to the word, agreeing with God, the word says over and over and over that we have what we pray, but it's ours in the spiritual realm. So what I'm teaching on today, active faith, we become the receiver like the radio we become the receiver that transforms the power in the spiritual realm, the answered prayer in the spiritual realm, into something that we can see, feel, and hear in our, in our bodies or in our lives, whatever the situation is. So our act of faith has a very powerful impact on moving the answer from the spiritual realm into our life. Isn't that good? Okay, so here we go. I'm going to teach on two things, passive faith and active faith, because passive faith is the enemy's stupid trick. And we need to expose what passivity is, because as Pastor Tim says, wimps get wasted. That's his quote, and it's a good one. And we're going to talk about what that looks like and why it is so um, powerless, um, impotent, ineffective, and it's not going to do any good. So we need to know what it is. So passive, passive faith. First, I want to define the word passive according to a dictionary. Passive means not involving visible reaction or active participation. Passive means influenced, acted upon, or affected by some external force, cause, or agency. And passive means being the object of action rather than causing action. So in the case of us being in a place of passive faith, what does that look like? Well, passive faith is where we know the word of God. We know the promises of God. That's why you're here, to learn and to get fed truth about what God's word says. Because the Bible says when we pray according to the word, we have what we say. But you can know the promises of God and yet sit back passively without having active participation and waiting to be the object of action instead of causing action or influencing action, and nothing is going to happen. It's what you're doing is you are waiting for God. You're waiting. You know, you know truth. You know promises. But you're sitting back, doing nothing, waiting for God to do something he's already done. He's not going to do anymore. He's already done the work through Jesus. The work is finished. He doesn't heal today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day on demand. He's already done it. It's past tense. And if we're waiting for him to heal us, we're waiting for him to act upon us or for his power to come upon us and heal us, 
then that's passivity. And we're not taking the role that we need to be taking, which is active faith. And that's what we're going to talk about throughout this evening. So I, wanted, I want to highlight a very deceptive um, um, tactic of the enemy that encourages passivity. And it is what um, the religious world or the church um, often calls sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. And so what I want to do is I want to give you the true definition of sovereign, the true definition of my God, your God, being a sovereign God. And then I want to, to give you the twisted definition that's not true. So here's the true definition. Now, as I give you these pieces of the definition, um, picture, imagine, think about God, and you'll see how he fits right into it. So the first part of the definition of sovereignty is a king, queen, or other noble person who serves as chief of state, a ruler, or a monarch. Yes, that fits God. God is king. He is chief. He is ruler, monarch. The second part of the definition, something or someone being paramount or supreme. The word paramount means superior, superior to all others. Yep, God's there. God is paramount. God is supreme. The third piece of the definition, having supreme rank or power. Yes, God has supreme rank and power. And the last part of the definition, super or above. Yep, that's my God. He is above all. He is over all. He is greater than all. We magnify him and exalt him because that's his position. So that's true definition of sovereignty. Can, can you turn this down just a tad, please? Now, here's where religion, churches, Christianity, mainstream Christianity has taken sovereignty and added to that definition, and it's no longer true. And here's what they've done. They say that God controls everything, and nothing can happen without his consent. They say that God either originates or allows everything. Whatever will be, will be. That sounds good. It, it's convenient theology, because when we believe that, when we take that into our heart and choose to believe that, we can place all responsibility on God. We can say, well, if I get healed, it's God's will. If I don't get healed, it's God's will. If I'm sick, it must be God's will. If, I get, if I'm not sick, well, then that must be God's will. And that is a bunch of baloney because God is a good father. He doesn't do bad things. He doesn't originate sickness. He doesn't do bad things. I taught a, recently a teaching at a church that was entitled, God is good, the devil's bad. Black and white. If it's bad, it's not God. He, I believe, he doesn't even allow sickness in our lives. He doesn't even allow it. He allows us to allow it, but he doesn't allow it. He doesn't open the door and say, okay, go ahead, devil. Now, you, everybody says, what about Job? Well, guess what? That was before Jesus paid the price. That's old, old, old testament. That's one of the first books of the Bible, like right after Genesis. It's not in that position in the Bible, but that's when it was written, before the Holy Spirit was in us and upon us before Jesus had paid the price for sickness and all of the curses of the, the law. God doesn't allow sickness. What is true, the truth, is that yes, God is sovereign according to the first part of my definition. He's so very sovereign that he doesn't go against his word. He doesn't break his word. He's not a man that he should lie. And if his word says, by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed, you were healed, then by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed, period. He's given us a free will. Now, here's, here's the, the really bottom line. He doesn't violate our free will. 
We all understand that when it comes to salvation. We know it's God's will for all to be saved and none to perish. But a lot of people perish because they haven't received it. They've, they've chosen. They've got a free will. The, the gospel's been preached for sure in the United States. Everybody has heard about Jesus. But not everybody's received Jesus. Not everybody believes in Jesus. Not every, everybody believes that Jesus is the only way. It's their choice. They have a free will. But that's the only way to salvation. The same is true with healing. We have a free will to accept and believe that the word is true and to take it, to receive it. But we have a part to play, and that's what I'm going to be sharing more and more tonight. We have complete freedom to choose whether God's perfect will comes to pass in our lives or not. It doesn't happen without our cooperation. So what I want to share now, there's four scriptures that are noted in your handout. I want to share very briefly, and there's a lot more scriptural evidence than this, but I want to give you scriptural evidence that the enemy is a defeated foe, that the dominion that the enemy carried from the fall of man until the redemption of Jesus was taken back by Jesus and then conferred on us. We were commissioned with dominion and authority. The enemy had dominion at the fall of man. Jesus defeated that, took it back, and then he commissioned us with dominion. So you see, our roles are reversed. When you were reading the um, uh, declaration today, one of the things you read is that we have dominion over the enemy. He doesn't have dominion over us. Because our roles have been reversed. So instead of the enemy having power over us, because of Jesus' death and him breaking off the power of the enemy and then giving us authority over the enemy, completely roles reversed. That's why I can stand here and you can stand here and that's what we're going to talk about when we get into the active faith part. We can stand here and use our authority in a very powerful way and take dominion or exercise, I should say, because the dominion's already ours, but we can exercise our authority and dominion over the works of the enemy. So here's some scriptural evidence. Colossians 2.15. I, I read this one a lot. I almost have it memorized. You guys have heard it a lot, but it's such a good one. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. What does that look like? Well, this is the deception because he has no more power, but the deceiver tries to get us to buy that today. And he says, that pain, Christine, hmm, what might that be? Or he says, hmm, there's a test coming up. What's that test going to show? Or there's another symptom. Hmm, I must be going down instead of up, even though the Bible says, by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Why is my body not responding to that? And questioning yourself, that's the enemy's stupid accusation. Anything like that. What, what you were dealing with this weekend when there was a, a, a wound and instead of looking at all the good stuff, you were focused on one negative thing. That's the stupid enemy trying to get you to buy a lie, an accusation. But he's been stripped of all his spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them, the, the demonic realm, around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner they were his. Now that's good news for Jesus. But it's not just Jesus. Listen to this next scripture. This is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is, the, this is called the Great Commission. It's at the last chapter of Matthew. After Jesus died, after he was resurrected, he was on this earth for 40 days, um, he was revealed to many people in bodily form, and then he ascended into heaven. This happened right before his ascension into heaven. Jesus came close to them, his disciples, and he said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. 
now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you, even to the completion of this age. So Jesus, as he's getting ready to ascend to heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, he's given us a really important role, and that is his authority. He says, go in my authority. Create um, disciples, preach the word, build my disciples up, follow my commands, and we're going to talk about what those commands are in just a second. And he says, and lo, I am with you. The Spirit of God is with us. The Spirit of Jesus is with us, within us, upon us, wherever we go. We don't do this alone. We're in commission with Jesus, not on our own, but with him. Luke 10, 19 and Matthew 10, the next two scriptures. Both of these scriptures take place before Jesus paid the price, before he stripped the enemy of his authority. But even in these scriptures I'm going to read, you're going to see how he conferred his power and authority on the people before he had even defeated the enemy. And it worked. Let me read these to you. Listen. Luke 10, 19. Listen carefully. Jesus is speaking. I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's uh, another name for the demonic realm. And the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan. And nothing will by any means harm you. If he did that for his apostles when he was on this earth and the enemy hadn't yet been stripped of his power, how much more now? Yeah, and listen to this one, Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. He's again um, um, conferring his authority and sending people out on a mission. And he says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So we're getting a picture of what we're called to do. And we're still called to do that today. And we can, how? Not because of who we are, but because of the Holy Spirit working through us and the authority and the power that we have. But we have a choice. We have a choice to believe and receive that that's mine and then to act upon it and to come into commission. The only way we're commissioned by by. Christ, but the only way to enter in is to believe and agree with him and say, okay, God, this is so big, this is so huge, but I am going to, in faith, believe that that's true, and I'm going to step out and then just watch him come alongside you and see the manifestations. So back to this passive faith. I'm going to just wrap this section up. Passive faith. Passive faith is powerless. We have to step into our authority and our power. And if we don't, we're powerless. If we are sitting back asking God to do what he told us to do, then we're powerless. As I was typing this, that word powerless, just kind of, I know it's Holy Spirit. He was just kind of um, highlighting that word to me. And on Microsoft Word, you can go over a word and it gives you synonyms, right? Listen to synonyms of powerless. Without power, helpless, incapable, weak, ineffective, feeble, defenseless. Passivity is ineffective. You might think you're in faith. You might mentally assent or say, okay, I, be, I, I know it. If you ever hear yourself saying, I know it, that's a caution. You say, I know it, I believe it, it's sitting there, you know. Okay, God, I'm waiting. That's ineffective. 
It's powerless. We have been commissioned, and we need to step in that mission, to advance the kingdom of God and to destroy the kingdom of darkness. So let's talk about how to do that. Active faith. Here's the definition of active, right from a dictionary. Active means engaged in action, a participant, participation. Active means causing activity or change and capable of exerting influence. That's me. That's you. We're capable of exerting influence over the work of darkness. We're capable of exerting influence over issues in our body, issues in our marriage, issues with our children. We're capable of exerting influence with all, we're going to talk about the how in a minute, but that's our role. I'm going to give you three things, first, second, and third. Three huge pieces that are integral in stepping into being an active woman or man of faith and not a passive one. First, first, and this is good news, we need to know that we have enough faith because we're talking about active faith. And you might be sitting here saying, well, that's, that's fine for Cindy. You know, she's a teacher. She, she knows the Bible pretty good, but I'm not there. And you might think you don't have it. Good news. You have every bit as much faith as me. Because we all have the measure of faith. I'm going to read three scriptures. I shared these last time, but we're just going to review them because they're important. Romans 12, 3. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. We all have the same standard, the same measure, the same amount. And it's, it's awesome because you know what amount it is? It's the faith of Jesus. That's a lot of faith. We have the faith of the Son of God. I'll give you evidence of that. This is Galatians 2.20. Paul is speaking, and he says, my new life, I can say that too. I'm a reborn woman. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. Just stop and just stop right there, guys. We are empowered. If we're born again, we're empowered by the faith of the Son of God. That's a lot of power. Active faith is powerful. It's effective. It's potent. It's not impotent. It's potent. And we have the faith of the Son of God who loves us so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Now, I was meditating on this because I was like, okay, how do I get that kind of faith in here? Christ is in me and he's in you. Um, I don't know the address of the scripture, but it says, Christ in me, the hope, the expectation of glory. Uh, glory is the manifest presence of God. Christ is in me, and I'm in him. I host his presence. You do too. Because he resides in me, his faith resides in me. Everything, every part of his character resides in me. Now, I might not look like it because everything hasn't moved from the spiritual realm into Cindy, you know, what you see here and all that. And the same in you. We're a process, we're a progress, right? A work in progress. But it's mine. In the spiritual realm, it's part of me, and it's part of you. And that's enough faith. The faith of Jesus is definitely enough. And the next scripture is another piece of evidence that that's what we carry. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Those fruits of the Spirit are the very character and the life of Jesus. And it's in me. 
It becomes part of me, part of us, at our born-again experience as we are reborn. When Christ takes up his, his um, presence in us, that becomes part of us. All of those characteristics of Jesus are in us. Jesus is literally being lived out of us by the Holy Spirit. And faith is part of it. The faith of Christ is in us. So the first thing we need to know, and you may need to renew your mind to this, because that might like be way bigger than you've ever even fathomed, that you have the very faith of Christ in you. So we need to renew our minds to that. So that's number one. Number two, many of us need to switch our mindset. We need to have a paradigm shift when it comes to faith. Now, I preach this a lot, so this may already be in you, but I'm going to say it again. Here's what I'm going to say. There's four or five points. They're on your paper. I wanted to make sure you took them home because you may need to meditate on this because it's totally... um, I don't want to say contradictory. That's probably not the right word. But it's what I used to believe was way watered down to this truth. So let me tell you the the whole truth. Here's the whole truth. What is yours in the spiritual realm is more real than your physical realm. But we understand our physical realm because we can perceive, I guess, is a better word. We can perceive our physical realm because of our senses. We can see, hear, feel what's going on in our bodies. But we don't have that kind of um, perception with the spiritual realm. That doesn't make it unreal. Just because something is unseen doesn't make it unreal. And the truth is that what is our possession in the spiritual realm is more real. More real. So your healing is more real than the sickness. Right, Nathan? Your healing is more real than any diagnosis of a doctor. So that's the first point. The second point, this faith that we're talking about, this active faith isn't anchored in the realm of facts, but it's anchored in the realm of truth. Facts are what you you know, what you can perceive with your senses or what the doctor's report is. Those are facts. I'm not saying they're not facts. I'm not denying that they might be facts. That's not where our faith is. You don't have to have faith to believe that. Faith is anchored in the truth. Truth changes facts. Truth trumps facts. When our active faith, and we're going to talk about what active faith actually looks like next. But when we are actively in faith, facts change. Facts never change truth because truth is unchangeable. Truth is the word of God. But truth changes facts with active faith. Amen. Now, eyes of faith can look at the facts and still believe the truth. Eyes of faith can hear the doctor's report, can, can know the facts and say, it doesn't matter. I believe the truth. Facts, I already read that. Let's see. It takes renewing of the mind for that to happen. It takes letting our mind um, just be um, transformed, changed by the promises of God, just like we did at the beginning when we were making those powerful declarations. Something rises up in you to agree with the word. Your spirit, your soul is stirring. There's just a stirring going on. When we were making those declarations about fear, it was like there was just, you could, I don't know about you, but I could feel something going on in my soul, inside of me, just jumping, agreeing with that word. And that is what opens our eyes of faith to believe what we don't see, to believe the truth 
over what's happening in the natural realm or what we see or feel in the natural realm. So a common misunderstanding is that we have to fight to get healed or we have to obtain healing versus defending healing that's already ours. That's a big shift. I remember when that shift happened in my heart. I was believing I was going to be healed. And then all of a sudden, God clearly gave me revelation that that wasn't, that wasn't right. I needed to change my believing, my speaking, to believe that I was already healed, even before I saw the result. So the question is, are you trying to obtain healing instead of defending the healing that's already yours? It's easier to defend what's already yours than it is to try to get something that isn't yours yet. And this is the way I like to say it. I'm not a sick person trying to get healed. I'm a healed person defending the healing that's already mine. That's the shift right there. So shift your paradigm. It's not future tense. Healing is past tense. And it's just something you're defending because it's already yours. When does it become yours? It becomes yours when you accept the gift, just like, just like forgiveness of sin. It becomes yours. When Jesus did the work 2,000 years ago, it becomes yours when you believe it and receive it. It becomes yours in the spiritual realm. That's when you can uh, uh, come into this place of having eyes of faith and believing that it's yours before it's, you've seen it manifest in your life. Okay, number three. So number one, number one, the first thing was to know that you have the faith of Christ, you have the faith of Jesus, that's enough. Number two is to have a faith paradigm shift and know that healing is already yours and you're just defending it. And number three is to take action and to be an active participant in your healing. <clears throat> I was listening yesterday to a teaching, and this is what they said. They said, faith is a noun. It's a gift from God. And you really, other than believing in, and, and saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you, Father, that's the only role that you have. But believing is a verb, Believing is putting our faith into action. And the first thing that we need to do is make a choice to do it. So faith is this noun. It's something we have. It's already there. It's a gift. I have the faith of Jesus. Believing is taking that faith and putting it into action. So the next thing you see on your paper is a chart. It has four lines, and I'm sure there's more characteristics of active faith, but I'm just going to paint a picture of what active faith looks like. First row, I'm going to talk about what this looks like in active faith and its opposite, passive faith. Active faith does not rely on a physical condition to determine a spiritual position. So let me explain what that means. Active faith doesn't have to have the good report from the doctor to believe the good report of the word. Active faith, I have a woman right now on Monday nights, Freddie, a lot of you guys know Freddie. She goes to Rochester Church. And I have seen her walk in this through her whole journey. So she's got a diagnosis of, I don't even know, I think it's ovarian or uterine cancer. Um, so she has a diagnosis. She's doing very, very, very well um, in her soul and in her body. But the whole way, I have heard her say this so many times. She says, it's a done deal. Healing is mine. Jesus paid the price. I believe it. And she says, it doesn't matter what that doctor's report says. It doesn't matter what that scan says. I don't need that scan to prove to me what God's word says. Active faith does not need a doctor's report to determine your spiritual position. Freddie's spiritual position is healed. Freddie's spiritual position is, oh no, devil, you messed with the wrong lady. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. You just watch me. And in the meantime, 
She's had some reports that haven't really lined up with what God's report says. Doesn't matter. She stands firm. That's active faith. Passive faith, on the other hand, needs to see it to believe it. Passive faith sounds like this. Okay, God, I believe your word. I'm declaring your word. I'm trusting you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for for the gift. Thank you. Okay, Father, next week I'm having a CAT scan. Thank you, Father. I'm believing, I'm believing that that CAT scan is perfect. All cancer gone. And then you go into that CAT scan dependent on the answer being cancer gone in order to back up your belief. That's passive. That's passivity. You are depending on that CAT scan. That CAT scan doesn't matter. We all want that CAT scan to say no cancer. And I rejoice when it does. But I rejoice when it doesn't too. Because Jesus did the work. And we don't need to depend on a doctor's report. Doctor's report doesn't matter. What matters is God's report. And you watch that thing change when you stand with that kind of act of faith. You stand there and you watch and you know that that is going to change. It has to. It has to line up with the word. The word is true. Facts have to change. Here's the second um, one I want to share. Active faith can be heard in our words. 2 Corinthians um, 4.13 says, We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, First I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe and then speak in faith. There is a biblical truth that what's in our heart is going to come out of our mouth. And as we, you can hear faith in words. Act of faith, you can hear it in your words. You can hear it in your tone of voice. You can hear it in the words that you speak. You can hear it in um, what you don't speak because you're not saying, you know, the, the, you're not dwelling on the problem. You can hear faith in words. You can hear act of faith. That's one of the ways to activate your faith is by your words. But we have to take the option. We have to do it. You can't sit back and expect it to just happen. A couple weeks ago, Kent and I both had a, something kind of in our, um, our throat or our chest, and it was a little tickle, a little cough kind of thing. Now, we could have just ignored it and done nothing and said, God, thank you. You know, I know that you heal. That's got to go away fast. No virus can live in me. You know, we could have just sat back and kind of passively waited. But no, 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 no. I'm not going to passively wait. It doesn't matter whether it's a cancer or a cold. God doesn't want it in me. So we took a stand and we spoke to that and we said no. And it went as fast as it came. But we have a part to play. Passivity can also be heard in our words. But it activates unbelief. Passivity activates unbelief instead of faith because the words aren't actively believing God. The words might be questioning God or wondering or um, as Pastor Tim says, wimpy. (laughs) One of the things that I often do when I'm declaring the word is I'm not quiet. I'm not passive. I'm not saying you have to be loud because God can hear it's more for me than for him. But I'm, I, you know, I say it like I mean it, not with passivity. Yes. The next line on our chart. Active faith has a corresponding action that reflects our faith. James 2.17. So too faith, if it does not have works to back it up, is by itself dead, inoperative, and ineffective. Whoa. We talked about faith being that gift that's in there and believing, putting action to our faith. This scripture says that if we're not putting action to our faith, then it's ineffective. 
It's inoperative. It's ineffective. I want my faith to be powerful and effective, not ineffective. So what does it look like to have active faith, to act in faith? Freddie got up here uh, the week before Easter, right here on this, this platform, and did a worship service thanking God for her healing before she had the final result. That's active faith. And she wasn't just doing it as a, a work. She was truly praising and thanking God for everything he's already done on her journey. That's active faith. Active faith is getting up and living the best that you can. Of course, you need to be wise. You need to get rest. You need to take care of your body. Yes. But there are times when we kind of maybe take that to an extent where you don't need to. Where you can get up and, and cook. You can get up and do laundry. You can get up and do something. Act healed. I had a pastor who said, act the part until you become the part. So, is my battery dying? Okay, I'll just keep talking. So, anyway, act the part. Act in faith. Yes. Keep going? Okay. Passive faith, on the other hand, sits back and waits on God to do what he's already done. Passive faith isn't taking action. Passive faith is... It's just sitting back and, and kind of just being there waiting. The last line of the chart. Active faith has an attitude. It's absolutely confident and persuaded in God's promises. It's absolutely steadfast, believing God at his word. It has an attitude. Active faith has an attitude. You going to change my batteries? You want me to use the handheld? I'm going to turn this one off. No, I'll just take. Let's test, test, test. Okay, sounds good. Because um, we want to get it on video, otherwise it wouldn't matter. Um, okay, listen to this testimony. Active faith has an attitude. I got a phone call today from this beautiful lady, Leah. Leah, smile at everybody. Wave. Okay. I love this girl. So she had this testimony for me. Um, I'm going to try to make a long story short. Um, she has two daughters. Her oldest daughter, Eva, um, has been fighting really super serious allergies her whole life. How old is Eva? Three. And about, I met Leah about a year ago. And when I met Leah, she didn't know what we're talking about right now. And she was consumed, absolutely consumed with fear for her little girl because the allergies were so very serious that Leah literally was, um, I called it irrationally afraid of even sudden death with her daughter because of the severity of her allergies. So I started to teach her the word and to share the promises and fear left this girl. She didn't even look like the same woman. Literally, fear left, and um, there have been there's been a lot of progress in Eva. Um, one of the pro pieces of healing that she's already seen is that she's no longer allergic to dairy in baked foods, and they're going to be doing a dairy test in raw dairy, um, fresh dairy, in about a month. So she's seen progress of healing in her little girl. Another testimony with Eva is that when. Evan was here the first time in, was, I think, December. Um, he prayed with Leah. Eva wasn't even here that day. Prayed with, with Leah, and um, she had eczema really bad all over her little body. And after that prayer, all of the eczema left, which was awesome. Praise you, Jesus. Well, then recently, her, her younger daughter, Ellie, started to break out with eczema. Now, here's where active faith just rises up and takes over. This mama has a whole new uh, belief system. She's had a mindset change. And when that eczema started to come out on her little Ellie, she just didn't receive it, did not receive it. The first thing she did was she ignored it and didn't receive it. That's powerful. That's important. She didn't get into fear. She didn't get into worry. She didn't meditate on it. That's what she used to do. That was the old Leah. 
She didn't do any of that. She didn't feed fear. She didn't fuel fear. She didn't let that happen. And then her husband started asking her some questions like, well, do you think we should do this or that? You know, use this treatment or take her to this doctor or do this or that? And she said, no, no. By the stripes of Jesus, she's healed. Oh, no, we don't need to do that. And then one day she was changing Ellie, and it was getting worse. It was spreading to different parts of her body, and she got mad. She got mad at the devil trying to steal, kill, and destroy because she's an overcomer. She has authority over those little girls, and she knows it, and she's using her authority, and the devil was just trying to, you know, do his thing. And she got mad, and she talked to the enemy, and she talked to the eczema, and she told it to go, and she said, oh, no, you have no right over my baby girl. And all the eczema left. Praise God. Praise God. That's active faith. She wasn't sitting back waiting for God to do something that he's already done. She knew she had a role to play. She didn't receive it. She didn't give in to fear. And she took action. And when she did, the problem left. That's active faith. So active faith has an attitude. It is completely persuaded in the promises of God. And no stupid lie of the devil, no eczema is going to change your full persuasion. Amen. Amen. Passive faith is timid. Passive faith lacks confidence in God's willingness to uphold his promises. Passive faith says, well, I hope. I hope that works. You know, that would be really, really good. Passive faith doesn't have an attitude. Passive faith sits back and is very timid. Now, this has nothing to do with your personality type has nothing to do with your personality type. Don't think that you're not that kind of a personality. Because in the natural, I don't have that kind of personality. In the natural, um, you know, if, if I'm, you know, in my everyday, day-to-day life, I'm a very gentle, quiet, um, you know, sensitive. That's my personality. But boy, when the devil's messing with me, something happens. And I refuse to let him have any power or dominion over me that's been stripped from him. The only power he has is the power we give him. And I take a stand. So personality type doesn't matter. Active faith is powerful. Listen to the synonyms of powerful. Full of power, influential, commanding, authoritative, prevailing, dominant, potent, great, mighty, and formidable. That's good. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now, he's able to do it. But we have a part to play, and he can't do it without our cooperation. And our co- part of it is the power that works in us, and that's faith. That's active faith. That's the power that works in us but we have the part to play. Mark 11, verse 22 through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Notice it says the word believe. Faith is that gift that's given to us. The faith of Jesus is in us. Believing is putting action to that faith. The phrase that says believe that you receive them literally means believe that you have taken them. That's when they become yours in the spiritual realm. When you pray according to the word and you believe that you've taken them, you have taken them. And the believing, the act of believing brings it into, into your life. So take it. Take back any ground or authority that the enemy has tried to steal. Stay angry at sickness. Hate what he hates. Love what he loves. And don't make peace with what the devil's trying to get you to buy. 
Don't say, okay, I guess I can live with that. Or don't try to be some martyr. No, God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to glorify him with your healing. We have authority and power over the things in the kingdom of God. The enemy's an illegal intruder who has no authority in our temple. But you're the boss. I'm the boss, and we need to act like it. And I I already said this, but whether, whether it's a cold or a cancer, God doesn't want it in you. So take authority. In fact, it's really good practice in those little situations to step into your authority. Leah, you've told me many stories about that. She's just in awe of how when she steps into her authority, that thing leaves. And she's implementing that in everyday situations, in, in seemingly minor situations. But that's building her up in her most holy faith. Um, Matthew 11, verse 11 and 12. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault. And violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. So there's a lot of attacks against the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. Through the the enemy, we see it in the world. We seize it by force. We seize the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the royal power and authority of King Jesus over the kingdom of darkness, and we've been commissioned to carry it. We seize it. We take it as a precious prize with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. That's active faith. Joshua 1.9, Jesus says, or actually this is the Old Testament. So God says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That goes right back to the, group, to the commission in Matthew. God says, follow my commands. And he says, lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be discouraged. God says, be of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. He's with us. He's commissioned us. It's not us on our own. It's him in us. Okay. Are you ready to go and be an active believer? I know I am.